Let's pray. Father, you are indeed our Father in heaven. And yet in the scripture, you're described in terms of fatherly attributes, but also motherly ones as well. And so this morning, we are here. We recognize the mothers in our midst. But Father, more than that, we recognize each of the women in our midst this morning. And we thank you for them. The blessing they are to the church, the blessing they are to their families, the blessings they are in their workplaces or the homes or whatnot. Uh, you made each one unique and beautiful in your sight, Lord. Uh, and I pray that your spirit would fill each one and just shine through day by day that all those who come in contact with them are uh, aware that Jesus is with them, that they serve the living God. Encourage their hearts in those difficult moments. As Mary said, both as mothers and fathers, uh, we fail at times living up to our own expectations of, of what we'd like to be and like to do with our children. In those times, let us come to you and, and seek forgiveness. In those times, let us not be beat down, but let us have a vision of how we can do it differently or better if that situation arises again. Life is a learning process, Lord, and we never stop learning and growing. And so I pray that we'd have teachable spirits uh, and, and hearts that hunger for the truth and, and for Christ to be developed within us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this morning we are going to look at the life of a woman by the name of Abigail. Her story is found in the Old Testament, yet it remains an incredible example for us today. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope you do, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 25, beginning with verse 1. And as you're turning there, let me set the stage for you so you understand the background of the times in which this takes place. Verse 1 is going to inform us that Samuel has died. Now, Samuel was the Lord's man. He was a prophet who spoke forth God's word. And he stands in that transition time between the time of the judges who God used to rescue his people and the time of the kings which the people clamored for. Saul is the first of Israel's kings, and he was anointed at God's command by Samuel. But Saul hasn't lived up to what's been asked of him. Instead of walking in obedience to the Lord God, he's taken things into his own hands, and he's done what seems right in his own eyes. And because of this, God rejects Saul as king. And so what God's going to do is going to raise up another man who will replace Saul, and this man's name is David. David is a shepherd. He's the youngest of several brothers, but God chooses him to be king after Saul. Seems an unusual choice. At first glance, there doesn't seem to be much to recommend David for kingship, but God chooses the least of the least oftentimes. And he says to Samuel, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And just tying in with, with what I was saying before the message, uh, sometimes we are concerned about the outward appearance when what we really should be concerned about is the heart. Scripture tells us that David is a man after God's own heart. And the question for us should be this. Are we, could it be said of us that we are men and women after the very heart of God? Or is it the things of man that drive us? Consider that as we get into Abigail's story this morning, because the answer to that question makes a difference in how you and I live our lives. 
When we first meet Abigail, Samuel is already dead. Saul is still on the throne, and David has been anointed as the next king. David is waiting on the Lord to remove Saul from the throne, and in the meantime, he and his men have gone out into the wilderness because Saul has it in for David and is trying to put an end to him. So they're hiding out, they're waiting on the Lord. That sets the stage for what we're about to read. So 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. They buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Maon. A certain man in Maon hood, property there at Karma, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. Let's just stop there for a moment. Abigail is described as intelligent and beautiful. And the Hebrew word that's used there suggests that she was a woman who, yes, she was very attractive to look upon. Her face and her form were pleasing to the eye. She is a good-looking woman. But beyond that, the emphasis is this. She is also intelligent. And again, the Hebrew word describes someone who's not just smart or clever, but someone who has an understanding of the world and of the people around her. So Abigail is a woman who is full of wisdom. This woman is married to a man by the name of Nabal. Now it turns out that Nabal is a very wealthy man, but wealth doesn't necessarily equate to intelligence. And we're going to learn just a few verses later that Nabal bears a name that means folly or fool. And unfortunately for everyone involved, Nabal lives up to his name. Whereas Abigail is full of good common sense, Nabal is lacking in that very same attribute. His wealth would indicate that he may have had a good business sense, but he did not do well with people. Furthermore, we're told that his whole disposition is one in which he was surly and mean. Those Hebrew words are translated elsewhere, stiff-necked, hard, cruel, severe, obstinate, and wicked. So his attitude and demeanor are almost 180 degrees from that of Abigail. Ladies, how would you like to have such a man as Nabal for a husband? Someone who's surly and mean. Someone who is uh, abusive. You see, I, I believe Abigail is married to a man whom she cannot respect. Maybe a man whom she even fears. Who returns harsh words to every pleasant one she speaks. I, I think she is joined to one who prefers to, uh, she prefer, others prefer to avoid. One who is critical of all she does. One who is stubborn and contrary in all things. And perhaps one who is abusive, not just verbally, but also emotionally or physically as well. And we have to wonder, how does that happen? How does a woman with the heart of an Abigail end up married to a man of Nabal's disposition? I think there could be many reasons that this takes place. I'm just going to suggest two or three this morning uh, that could be possibilities of how that comes about. Because the same thing happens in our own day. In the midst of dating and engagement, a person may conceal their true nature from their partner, not even necessarily intentionally. It's just they haven't done enough life together yet to really know what a person is like. Because it's, when, when you're dating and you're in that engaged stage, you, you have those times, you, you make 
commitments to get together and do things that's fun and is exciting. And when you get married, it's still fun and exciting. Don't let that throw anyone off. But you see another side of the person that you hadn't probably seen before because you're doing life with them day after day, hour after hour, week after week, month after month, year after year. And that is a blessing, but that also means there are going to be times of friction, times of pressure and tension. And that's what's in our hearts uh, really comes forth. So when that pressure is applied, when things are a little tense, what is within our heart starts to flow out. Uh, under the stress of those things, a person's true nature is easier to see. And so the trials of life can bring to the surface that which was not apparent before. A second reason an Abigail may find themselves married to enable is a sense of misplaced hope. A woman or a man may see the flaws in their partner's character all too clearly, but they choose to marry them anyway in the hopes that they can change them or bring healing to them. They want to save, they want to heal the troubled soul. They want to be needed by someone, not realizing that they cannot bring about the change that is needed. Because it's the Holy Spirit working within us who can bring about the changes that might be needed in another's life, that they may better reflect the character of God. And then finally, a third reason why an Abigail may find themselves married to a Nabal is simply that people change over time as they experience life. It may be that Nabal started out differently than he ended up. Could be that his business got the better of him. Scripture reminds us that the, the love of money is root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This may have been what happened in Nabal's case. In his quest for more and more, he may have become hardened. First in his business dealings, uh, when his, then with his employees, and finally with his wife. And in the end, he brings grief of all sorts upon himself. Now, we'll never know which, if any of those, is true of Abigail's situation. All we can know for sure is this, that the marriage that Abigail has with Nabal is probably not what she dreamed of when she was a little girl. It's probably not the fairy tale that she had hoped. Uh, and I hope it's not the case, but it's entirely possible that someone here today may find themselves married to someone with a Nabal disposition. Uh, could be your wife, could be your husband. Uh, I hope that is not the case, but we know uh, from the world around us that these things do happen. Uh, and if you're not married to one, and I, I hope that's, again, not the case, there are people with the heart of a Nabal all over the world, right? You work with some of them. Some of them are your neighbors. Uh, just an aside along those lines, uh, our dogs got away on Thursday afternoon, uh, and so driving around town, stopping, everyone, uh, stopping to talk to anyone who's uh, outside in the yard, everyone was so pleasant, so helpful, so kind, except for one elderly man. And I said, excuse me, sir, have you seen two dogs running around? I have no sympathy for dog owners. <laughs> Didn't ask for sympathy, I simply asked if you'd seen the dogs, but... Now, I don't know what had gone on in his day prior to that. Maybe he was just having a miserable day. I don't know. But it could be that he has the disposition of a Nabal. Um, and maybe you're here this morning, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I'm the one with the Nabal disposition. And if that's the case, then I'd ask you to listen closely 
to what comes next that Nabal would become for you a wake-up call before it's too late. So let's keep reading in verse 4. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable toward my young men, since we have come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. So David and his men are hiding out in the wilderness. David wants to keep the men occupied with meaningful work. He sets them to guard the flocks and the herds of the men and women in the area. He protects them from predators. He protects them from thieves and bandits. And he has not asked for anything in return until now. And even now, he's not making any unreasonable demands in accordance with the, the culture of the day. These things were perfectly reasonable. This is uh, how things would t- transpire. He's simply asking for the expression, an expression of gratitude, asking Nabal to give a little out of the plenty that he has. Keep in mind, Nabal is a very wealthy man. He's not lacking for anything except common sense, which you can't buy anyways. David has done good by Nabal. And it only remains for Nabal to respond in kind. But Nabal's heart's darkened by his greed. Verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shares and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word, and David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his. And about 400 men went up with David, but 200 stayed with the supplies. So David's first response to the wrong that's been done to him is to go and take his revenge. That's often our first response when we've been hurt as well, right? We want to avenge the wrong we've suffered. We want to return evil for evil. But the question is this, does such a response as that honor God? Does it further the cause of God's kingdom when we return evil for evil? Does it create in us the character of Christ? Verse 14. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in our fields, nothing went missing. Night and day, there was a a wall around us. All the time, we were herding our sheep near them. Now, think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. So when David, or pardon me, when Nabal refused David's messengers, he didn't just send them away with a polite word. Verse 14 tells us he hurled insults at them. The Hebrew word that's translated there, hurled, uh, means to scream, to shout, to rail at them. He verbally abused those who had done something good to him. And it's not just a one-time thing. 
right? This is his disposition because even his servants know that uh, he is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. It's his way or the highway. And maybe you know someone like that as well. Every kind word or deed is thrown back in your face. Abigail knows what that's like. She lives with it every day. But remember, Abigail is a woman of wisdom. She's full of understanding and insight. Verse 18. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sails of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And then she told her servants, go on ahead and I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He's paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to, to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is fool and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed, and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my master, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. And when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him, as has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master's success, remember your servant. Think of the war in Ukraine, just as I, I read those verses. The needless bloodshed, the, the bitterness and the revenge, the atrocities that have been committed. These things will weigh upon a person's conscience. These things will need to be answered for before the Lord. But I want you to notice what Abigail is doing here. At the risk of great personal danger, she's gone to try to make things right with David. She knows that what has happened isn't right, and she knows that what's to come will be even worse. But she's full of wisdom. Her heart is for the Lord, and she knows that things don't have to play out this way, that she has an opportunity to make a difference. Uh, and men or women, I want you to understand you have an opportunity to make a difference in the situations you come across in each day as well. You can bring justice. You can speak truth. You can uh, show mercy and grace to those in your life. Those with an Abigail heart full of wisdom 
and set upon the Lord and his will, they will try to make a difference where they see those injustices done in the world around them. Verse 32, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk, so she told him nothing until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things. And his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my case against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. And then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, Here is your maidservant, ready to serve you and wash the feet of my master's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and, attended by her five maids, went with David's messengers and became his wife. Now, that's a, a lengthy passage of Scripture that we've read through this morning, but it gives us good insight into the character of those three people, Abigail, David, and Nabal. Nabal is a man whose character is summed up well in verse 21. And we're going to meet people like this today. Men or women who return evil for good. Doesn't matter how kind you are to them, how far you go for them, they never have any po anything positive to say. They never express gratitude or thankfulness. They're more likely to grumble and moan and curse at you than they are to thank you for your efforts. That's the kind of man I think that Nabal was. Instead of being thankful and expressing his gratitude to David and his men for protecting his flocks, Nabal shouts and hurls in insults at them instead. Are you a Nabal? Do you fail to see the goodness that others have done to you? When they do do good to you, do you return evil? Do you disregard them? Do you fail to show thanksgiving or gratitude? Do you speak harshly and critically to and of others? Do you find it more satisfying to tear people down than it is to build them up? Do you grumble when good comes your way because it isn't good enough? If so, you're probably a Nabal at heart. Take heed of Proverbs 17, 13. There we're told that if a man pays back evil for good, evil will never leave his house. As Nabal discovered, you reap what you sow. David, on the other hand, is a man who's about to return evil for evil. He's been insulted by Nabal. All his hard work has been for nothing. He's gone unnoticed, unrewarded, and his men have been mocked. He feels a righteous anger welling up inside him, and he wants to strike back. And so he's going to destroy Nabal's household, putting an end to every last male that he can find. Nabal has refused him food, but David is going to deny him life. David's reaction 
is far out of proportion to the wrong that had been done to him. But the truth is this, that we are far, more of us are far more like David than we are Nabal. When we are hurt, when we are injured, when we are wronged, our first inclination is to retaliate, right? You see it uh, in children all the time. Why did you hit your brother? Because he hit me first. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth type of mentality. And unfortunately, we don't necessarily grow out of that as adults. And it leads to a cycle of hurt and pain and anger and bitterness because hurt people hurt other people. We lash out with our words or our fists or our power or authority to make the one who is wrong to suffer, to somehow in some small way to feel the pain that they've inflicted upon us. And so again, going back to that man who I simply asked if he'd seen two dogs running, I have no idea. Maybe there's been some tremendous hurt in his life, and now he's lashing out at the easiest target or the convenient target that's there. We don't know, but we do know this. Hurt people hurt other people. That way of living breaks up friendships. It divides neighbors and it destroys marriages. And Paul tells us in his first letter to the Corinthians that love keeps no record of wrongs. But the one who repays evil for evil, they keep a record of wrongs. They do not love as we're told to love in 1 Corinthians 13. They have never understood forgiveness, and so they hold on to the bitter things of the past and refuse to let them go. But Jesus said, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. He who has been forgiven little loves little, but she who has been forgiven much loves much in return. And so David's first response in his anger is to lash out. But thank God for Abigail. This godly woman full of understanding, wisdom, and courage does what she can to make things right and to keep David from doing wrong and staining his conscience with the blood of Nabal's household. And David knows it. Look again at verses 32 and 33. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. See, David had one thing that Nabal did not have. David had a teachable heart. He was able to recognize where he had been wrong. And he was able to accept when someone else had been right. David, in his anger, for a moment had forgotten that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And it took a godly woman to remind him of this truth, to keep his hands from sin and bloodshed. So Nabal is a, a man who returns evil for the good done to him. David is a man willing to return evil for evil, but Abigail is a woman willing to overcome evil with good. And this is what God asks of us when we're confronted with evil in our own day. When we are confronted with the evil of a Nabal or a David, this is what God would ask of us. Romans 12, beginning with verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, 
feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is one of the ways in which the message of the gospel, the reality of Christ within us can be proclaimed to the world, that they may see the heart of God. This is what Abigail's done. Here she is married to a man full of wickedness and evil. A man who's been harsh and domineering and just plain nasty. But she didn't let his evil overcome her. In the midst of it all, she's kept her heart for the Lord. She's not become like her husband. Even after years of marriage, she has not let the evil of her spouse grow up as a bitter root within her. Instead, she persists in doing what is right in God's eyes and striving to overcome evil with the good that she can do. And in the face of the wrong that her husband has done to David, she again seeks to overcome the evil which is about to befall Nabal's household by doing the good that should have been done in the first place. And notice her example here. First of all, she recognizes that a wrong has been done and that her husband is at fault. If we're to be as Abigail, we need to be cognizant of the wrongs that we've done, the hurts that we've caused others. We can't sweep them under the carpet and expect them to simply go away. Because when those wrongs aren't acknowledged, the heart of the one who's been wronged may become bitter, fertile, fertile ground for bitterness, rather. Have you ever had anyone say to you this, I'm sorry if I hurt you? How does that sit with you? Isn't it so much better to hear them say, I'm sorry that I hurt you? See, the one acknowledges possibility of the hurt but doesn't want to take responsibility of it. The other one says, yes, what I did brought you hurt, and I'm apologizing for that. That was not right of me, and I'm asking your forgiveness. Abigail doesn't go to David and say, if we've wronged you, please accept my apology. She goes to him, falls at his feet, and confesses the wrong. It's not even her fault. But verse 24, she says, let the blame fall on me alone. It's not Abigail who's mocked and ridiculed and finally turned away David's men empty-handed. And yet she pleads with David to let the blame fall upon her rather than her household. How do we understand that? I think that's an act of love on Abigail's part. She's saving her husband not because he deserves it, but because her heart is governed by God's love. And isn't her act of love the same act of love that God has shown us in Jesus? Jesus who is without wrong, Jesus, who was absolutely sinless, was made to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus went to the cross and the sin and the blame and the wrongs that were ours to carry have fallen upon him alone. Secondly, Abigail acknowledges the need for restitution. She does something about it. And I think this is one of the key steps that's missed when we're, someone's been wronged and we're attempting to reconciliate and rebuild that relationship. So often this restitution stage gets overlooked. An apology is not necessarily all that's required for reconciliation and healing to happen. We might need to make that restitution. And I love the story of Zacchaeus. Many of you will be familiar with it. I story is found in the Gospel of Luke if you want to check it out later. But having cheated people for countless years and upon experiencing God's grace, Zacchaeus cries out this, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. 
So this man is willing to do what he can to make things right, regardless of the cost to himself. It is more important for him to have a right relationship with others, that he might have a right relationship with God, that he might do what's right in God's eyes, rather than the fact that it's going to cost him a great deal of his wealth. Abigail is doing the same thing as she comes to David with gifts of food and drink for his men. She's willing to make it right between them, whatever the cost to her personally. And again, that's what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? Doing whatever it took, regardless of the cost to himself. Instead of repaying our evil with evil, God has repaid our evil with good. Thirdly, consider the humbleness by which that restitution is offered. Abigail doesn't come before David full of pride and arrogance or self-worth. Instead, she comes humbly, falls at his feet, throws herself upon his mercy. And that's a great picture of how we are to come before the Lord ourselves. To have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Fourthly, we must admit that Abigail's behavior can only come from a heart full of genuine love. A heart that is, as far as possible, seeks to live at peace with everyone. A heart that's willing to let go of the need for revenge and the desire to make another suffer as they've caused us to. It's love for her husband uh, that leads her to take the blame upon herself to save his life. It's love for God that leads her to love her enemies and to bless them rather than to hate them. Abigail was able to love because God had first loved her. And you can see the effects that God's love has had on her as she interacts with David and Nabal. You see the very love that God is showing us reflected in her actions as she seeks to save her husband and to look out for David's well-being. You see, repaying evil with good, that's an opportunity for you and me to show others the love of God. And some of them, like Nabal, they're going to reject it. They're not going to want any part of it. But others, like David, will be impacted by it. And their lives will be changed as a result. When we let go of our anger, when we let go of our need for vengeance, when we do the unthinkable and show love to those who have hurt us, it becomes an opportunity for God to work in their lives and our own. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. He has repaid our evil with good. And it's this love that leads us to repentance in new life. So what has the potential of reaching the Nabals of this world, the Davids that we meet? It's God's goodness reflected in us. As it says in Ephesians, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then he goes on to say, Therefore do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Get rid of rage and anger and slander and every form of malice. 
talking with a good friend of mine who's also in the ministry. Uh, there's been a very divisive person in his fellowship who's spreading slander and gossip, and it's, it's wreaking havoc on the church. Uh, we are to get rid of these things. We are not to give ourselves to gossip. We're not to give ourselves to slander or any of those other things that were listed there that we find in the pages of Scripture. God has shown us love. He's returned our evil, our sin. He's returned our sin against him. He's returned good to us. And as we close this morning, I want you to consider this. Do you have the heart of a Nabal, of a David, or of an Abigail? And if you don't have the heart of an Abigail, what steps can you take today to begin that journey to uh, uh, expressing a love, having a love within you that more closely reflects the love that Christ has for us? God's desire is not to leave us in our sin and brokenness. It's to bring us up, give us new life, to bring healing and wholeness. And the work he does in our lives, it is an ongoing process till the day we die. We will never be perfect in this life, but we should be growing, growing more into the character of Christ, the fruits of the Spirit, living as best we can in a manner honoring to God, showing love to our enemies, forgiving those who have hurt us. Let's pray. Father, the account of Abigail, I've always found a challenging one. She seems to have been a remarkable woman. And as your word says, full of wisdom and grace and intelligence. Uh, and that was a blessing to those around her. And you use this one woman's actions to change the course of the lives of many people. Father, when we show love to our enemies, some of them will reject that. Others will be touched by it and moved by it. Just as when your love is shared with us, some have rejected it and turned away from it. Others have embraced it. May it be that we show such a love to those who have hurt and wounded us, to those who have been our enemies. May you use the testimony of our lives as imperfect as they are. Speak your truth and love and grace into this world. Help us to shine as lights of your goodness and your mercy. Not because of anything uh, special about us, but because of Christ in us. And we ask this to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.